the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I'm really excited to talk with our next guest, Spencer Clavin, uh, who has written a brand new book called How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. Uh, he's also at the Daily Wire. He's about to launch a new podcast. And Mr. Clavin, glad to have you on the show. First of all, welcome in. It's uh, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Chris. You bet. I, what an important book and an important time in history. Uh, and I know that's why you wrote it. And I, I've been sitting on a couple of stories because I knew we were going to talk that I can't wait. I, I think, I would guess, I haven't read your book yet, but I would guess they're going to be a perfect complement to what you've written about. And I'll just start with something that we've been touching on a little bit here uh, recently, and that is the He Gets Us campaign throughout the course of the Super Bowl that was getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. I'm also holding in yeah. front of me a story about the Church of England, which undoubtedly you covered and know about and probably written about, um, that uh, the gender-neutral stuff and this transgender sure. stuff generally. Where the church is c- concerned, where people of faith are concerned, I, I think that might be, to me, as a Christian, Mr. Clavin, the most alarming and, and the one people ought to be most on point about. How do you see it? Well, that's, I think, absolutely right. And at a fundamental level, this is really the heart of my book. It's in the crisis of religion section. What I'm arguing here is that, you know, there are all sorts of things going wrong in the news. You listed them just now at the top. There's plenty of stuff to focus on. But when you dig deeper, a little bit beneath the surface of the daily stories, you find that it's not just this or that problem that we're up against politically. It's actually that we're facing some really fundamental questions that humanity has wrestled with basically since the beginning of our time on this planet. Questions like, what is a human being? Uh, What's our purpose in this universe? And most importantly, what's our relationship to the highest power, to God? Um, and so that's really what I address in the book. And I address it not by, you know, summarizing the, the news of the day or looking to modern gurus so much as by digging into these ancient texts which really do have wisdom for us. They're not dusty books to be left on the shelves. They're actually practical uh, pieces of writing from some of the greatest minds who have ever lived. And the encouraging thing about that is it means we're not alone in facing these kinds of issues. The stories that we're going to get into talking about today are new in that they are coming up you know, in, in the recent headlines, but the problems that they face us with are very profound um, and go back to the really the beginning of our great Western tradition, which means that we have resources to draw on, especially in the church, for uh, answering back to some of the nonsense that we're seeing, you know, coming out of the Church of England and places like that. Yeah, I, I have to say that uh, this is something one of my preachers loves to say often, um, that God is not surprised by any of this. Uh, there, there's mm. literal biblical history that, that lays out so much of what we're living today. You know, and, and my colleague and friend, and I know somebody that most of us uh, really enjoy, 
Dennis Prager, uh, regularly just opines about what world is without, you know, without God, uh, people who live the secular uh, life with, without God versus living with a God, and just sort of that fundamental baseline that uh, that's n- now we're, we've gotten to a place where we're just operating from a fundamental baseline. Do you live a life with God or a belief in something bigger or not? And I, I know you tackle that in this book. Fundamentally, that's, that's, that's right. a huge directional issue. Well, you know, what I argue in the book is actually uh, there's really no such thing as living a life without God. There's only such a thing as telling yourself that you're not worshiping. There's a line in the Bible in the Psalms that says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And sometimes I think we skip over that line or we just read it and say, oh, yeah, this just means that it's dumb not to believe in God or atheists are dumb or something like that. Um, But actually, I think the scripture is saying something much more profound there. It's saying if you tell yourself that you don't worship, if you tell yourself there's nothing in the position of highest good for you, um, then you're fooling yourself. You're making yourself into a fool because everybody just by getting out of bed in the morning uh they they do something because they believe in a good they they want something they want to do something or pursue some justice and that means that somewhere in your mind there's a highest good something that you serve something you will ultimately bend the knee to and if it's not god if you're not self-aware as a worshiper of god um, then you're just going to be worshiping something else, unawares. And this is what we see all over our news in our culture now, all the time. When people talk about, for instance, the science, capital T, capital S, and they say, you know, Dr. Fauci kind of represents the science, and he's, a, he's, he's the priest, essentially, of a cult religion. And you see this also, you know, in Black Lives Matter rallies, and people kneel and, and beg for forgiveness or absolution. This is the religious impulse in the human heart making itself known, even as we claim to be secular. So the point of the book is to say, well, if we're all worshiping, if we're always worshiping something, um, what is worthy of our worship? What is the thing we can worship or the person we can worship who will set us free rather than enslaving us? And the answer to that question is not to be found from the CDC or the WEF. It's actually to be found in Scripture and the wisdom literature of the tradition that comes down to us from Jerusalem and the Church Fathers. And by the way, there are a lot—I won't say a lot—I know a few conservatives, and I, I just got into a back and forth with uh, somebody who identifies as a libertarian, and he's he was this staunch Second Amendment guy. He had Second Amendment in his byline and his uh, social media, you know, Second Amendment this and Second Amendment that, and don't tread on me. Uh, but but a secularist, atheist, in fact, he thought he was you know, mocking my belief in God. And I said, where do you think you're, the Second Amendment, natural what are natural rights? I just said, ask, I tried to get him to tell me what are natural rights, define them. And it really tripped him up. And this, this, you know, I mean, it's central to what we believe as Americans, is it not? That there's certain things that are endowed, given, gifted, not by man. And if you don't believe that, well, then don't beat your chest about the Second Amendment if you think it's just something a guy came up with, because if you think that, then you can have it taken away just as easily by some other guy, right? That is quite true, and it's something all of our founders were aware of and explicit about in many cases. I mean, 
the Declaration's line about the creator endowing us with inalienable rights, that sentence doesn't make any sense if the word creator doesn't mean anything, if it's just a kind of vague gesture toward empty nothing. Um, these convictions that we have in this country, that mankind is born into this world in the image of God with individual rights endowed by his creator, and nobody therefore can take them away, not any man, not any government, nobody, um, that conviction doesn't just drop out of the sky. It's not actually just common sense. If you study the history of mankind, most people have not believed these sorts of things. Most people have not believed in human equality and uh, God-given rights. These things come from somewhere, and the place that they come primarily is from our scriptural sources, from the idea of the image of God invested in in every human being. Um, And that tradition, which kind of fuses, merges with uh, the tradition of Athens, the, the Greek and Roman philosophies, as it spreads out across Europe, that's a specific and uh, and precious inheritance. It's not something that we can just get, you know, naturally because everybody believes it. And in fact, as people move away from those sources of wisdom, you're starting to see them revert back to the old kind of pagan tribalism. You know, black people are inherently better than white people, or white people are inherently racist, and men are inherently sexist. These sorts of old-fashioned atavistic ideas that present themselves as new innovations, but they're really just what happens when you take that pillar of faith away. That's the kind of natural state of man that we're referring to without this core wisdom that comes down to us from the great texts. Spencer Clavin's book uh, is called How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. Spencer, the study that just came out from the CDC yesterday was talking about how young girls in particular are more depressed than ever. Or, at, I mean, de- depression generally, suicide, the COVID thing, uh, drug and alcohol dependence. It's, it's an emptiness. It's a lack of meaning. I would fold in there this surge, what seems to be a surge anyway, in this transgender movement. You know, my identity, I'm, I, don't, I don't identify as a boy anymore. I'm now a girl. This this insatiable hunger to turn our young children into these transgender figures, uh, that all seems rooted in that same kind of theme that you've written about, a lack of meaning. Is that about right? I think so. You know, you mentioned uh, the Church of England's move toward gender-neutral pronouns for God. And I think that's really telling, especially when we start talking about this big uptick we've had in gender dysphoria, especially among girls feeling uncomfortable with their bodies, you know, uh, they they present this stuff often as if, you know, well, we don't want male pronouns because that's oppressive and it it excludes women, essentially. But actually, it seems like this whole thing kind of trends toward the gender neutral, just empty, kind of featureless uh, idea of the divine that's not particular in any way, that has no form or personality or characteristic. Um, It's this disgust that we have with our own physical selves, with the fact that we are born into bodies with specific traits and characteristics. Um, And what would be better, we seem to think nowadays, is just to kind of float up into this abstracted space, maybe in the digital cloud or some pure land of you know, uh, of soul just separated from body. And what I show in the book is that is a very, very ancient impulse, and it never really leads in a good direction because the fact of the matter is that our bodies are not just accidents, and the reality of who we are in space and time is not something to just be kind of wished away or remolded um, the way we sometimes do in these terrible, you know, attempts to perform surgery or, or inject hormones into people, you know. 
Um, that's that's the reason that's unhealthy is because what we actually are is embodied souls. We are spirits written into flesh. Um, and that's not a mistake or an accident. It's actually what we believe God uh, used to express himself in the world, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so it's, in fact, the highest thing you can be is a specific person born into a body with a sex. You don't have an abstracted imaginary gender identity that you can reconfigure your body to match. Um, we are always flesh in spirit and spirit in flesh. The two things are joined together. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. It's not something to be shunned or disgusted about. Um, and I argue in the book that you can read, you know, not just Thomas Aquinas and the Church Fathers, but Greek philosophers like Aristotle, for instance, um, who really argue this very powerfully and show that what we are is, uh, is, is souls in bodies, embodied souls. Uh, and that's a good thing. Man, that is so profound and important. We are not an accident. Gender, your person, your, your, it's a gift. And I just, the, the concept that God made a mistake and you can go back to your birth certificate and erase it away, I, it's, it's as arrogant as saying you can control the weather. And it, I, and, but, but as you point out, it, it's yeah. not like it's new to us. I mean, this goes back right. for, uh, it, you know, since time immemorial, does it not? It does. And it's, you know, there is a certain sense in which it is understandable. I can really understand why, you know, given that we live in a fallen world and people die and our bodies break down in all these tragic ways, it's easy to feel as if this is, you know, this is just an encumbrance. It's just a burden uh, that, that has been placed upon us. And as you're indicating, that's a very, very old feeling. It goes back at least to the Neoplatonists who were a series of philosophers that kind of followed off of, of Plato. I talk in the book about Plotinus as one of them, who his biographer said he, he seemed ashamed of being in the body. And I, I think that, you know, it's very, very easy, especially now with all this digital technology, people are airbrushing their images so that they look so perfect. And it's easy for regular human beings to look at their flesh and feel um, inadequate or uncomfortable. Um, and that's one reason why it's become more urgent now and not less to return to a sounder tradition, um, which is what the Greeks called hylomorphism, the fusion of form and matter is what that word means. Um, and actually, that's a closer truth. That's closer to the truth of, of what we are, that we are a fusion of those two things. Um, and our salvation, our virtue, our excellence is found not in rejecting our bodies, but in trying to live out the guidance of our spirit through and in our bodies. That's a saner way forward. Yes. It's, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's living here, but not being of it. It's, it's getting up every day with a purpose that's beyond just, just going to work or just your identity. I, you know, I, Tucker has covered this quite a bit too. I know uh, Spencer Clavin, um, the, the crisis mm -hmm. of young men not working, yes. uh, just sitting at home on video games and having no real aspirations at all. Um, that, that's, it's so sad. And it all seems to go back to the same route. It's very sad, and, you know, it, it's something that often comes out of, you know, people will present it as a kind of offer of liberation. You know, you don't have to work anymore. You can just, I don't know, sit in your virtual reality space and uh, imagine the world however you want it to be. Um, but one of the things that Tucker, I think, shows really well is that uh, taking away the that 
physical reality, taking away the meaning in our life that doesn't, you know, take us out of our bodies, but actually takes us deeper into the, the meaning of our of ourselves, of our embodied life, of our uh, relationships with one another. Um, that's actually the whole point of, of why we're here. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that your life in the world points towards some higher meaning, um, then you have no reason to get up out of bed in the morning, which is why what we're seeing, as you say, it's, it's very sad and it's also very unnecessary, you know, in part because we've been deprived of access to the uh, tradition and the literature that might teach us something better. We've been taught that it's superstitious or primitive or even worse, somehow chauvinist or racist or sexist to go back to this uh, canonical tradition of, of Western literature. Um, it's simply not so. That's a narrative that's designed to keep you from ever cracking the spine of one of these great books and discovering that, you know, there are friends available here on the shelves for you to uh, find a better way forward, to wake up in the morning with a purpose that doesn't take you out of your body, doesn't take you out of your life or your relationships, but actually guides you through them into the world of the spirit, which we access through the here and now by doing uh, what is good, by seeing seeking truth, goodness, and beauty as we are given to see them every day uh, and in every way we can. What a smart... I, I can't wait to get into this book, uh, Spencer Clavin. Uh, it, it's called How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. I don't know if you see it this way, but I'll end on a positive, um, and your book is literally called How to Save the West, so you can confirm it. Maybe if you say there's a different way, tell me. But I'm noticing while there is a real schism in many churches... Um, secular progressivism has certainly even permeated the church, sadly. And so you're starting to see most mainline Protestant churches, including the Methodist church, is about to split. Um, you know, I have a story in here, the FBI warning against radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. So there is there's a schism in the church, but I will say, um, for instance, Bible-based churches like mine, one that I've found, I left an old church, I've come to a new one, and it's grown it's growing, and I'm hearing mm -hmm. that from a lot of people who are going back to traditional Bible-based beliefs, at least in the Christian faith. I can't speak to other faiths. They're growing. So while there's a splittering, it seems to be there's a healthy growth uh, amongst the traditionalists. Are you hearing that, and do you think that's a positive development and possibly a way back? I do have hope. If I didn't, I wouldn't have written the book, as yeah. you suggest. And um, what I find as I sort of assess our, our current situation is, yeah, a lot of things are going wrong, but it also means that there is this enormous hunger, and maybe that's what you're seeing also in, in the church, you know, this, this longing for something real, something tangible um, that nevertheless isn't reducible purely to just biology or material facts. And I argue in the book that that thing is what the Greeks would have called philia, which is a form of love. And it's a form of love that can be practiced in friendships and in neighborhoods. Uh, it, it's a political form of love because it means we can form communities around our common goal as fellow Americans. Um, but it also goes deeper than that into a spiritual level of connection that we share uh, when we worship in church together. And so, yes, I have a lot of hope for that. The more we offer that philia, that love, I think the more people will flock to it. Oh, what an important book. I, I hope we can have you back. I'm so thankful to you that you wrote it. It just, it sounds oh, like what the country needs um, right now. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. I'll happily come back anytime. And uh, yeah, I, I look forward to hearing how you enjoy the book. The new podcast, by the way, is that coming soon? That, that'll be out soon at Daily Wire Plus, yes. 
Awesome. Uh, we're working on it now. I'm really looking forward to that. That's a, you're, you're joining a, a great mothership of thinkers there. We're glad to, glad to hear it. Spencer Clavin, come back and see us. The book again, How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.